Hello and welcome again to English Language Teachers Under the Covers, uh, another teacher interview. Today we are interviewing the wonderful, the beautiful uh, Fanny Teacher, uh, which is the other half of Team Teacher China, uh, or Team Teacher uh, below or up there or wherever. Uh, yeah, so, I'm pointing, but and I'm just we also it's going to be have different. the esteemed, respectable, and all-powerful Rich. Uh, Professor Rich as well. Hello. Mm -hmm. Hi. Hello, everyone. YouTube.com slash Professor Rich. Sorry. And just, <laughs> and this one's about Fanny, right? Yeah, no, you can get it, get it in it as, as much as you can. No, no, no. You, you go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, YouTube.com slash Professor Rich. Um, that's also attached to my PayPal if you want to make a random donation. No, no Bitcoin address there. Pounds, whatever. Yeah, Bitcoin address is uh, capital E76. I <laughs> <laughs> um, remember for our Team Teacher, we've got multiple different channels, Team Teacher China, Team Teacher English, Team Teacher Baby. Uh, Team Teacher China has just released uh, one of uh, Fanny's kindergarten classes, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about today that you can view in full there. Um, but first, let's get started. And Fanny, do you want to kind of go into a little bit of your background from you know, where you started with teaching and how that progressed and to the point you're at now. All right, so uh, my journey to become a teacher isn't something that I had set out to do. Uh, I was origi originally coming from a marketing event planning business background. And just one day I decided that I didn't want to sit behind a desk anymore and uh, just talk to people on the phone or through emails and I wanted more interaction with people. Also, I wanted to travel, which I think is a lot of reasons why a lot of teachers become teachers, uh, ESL teachers especially. And that was one of my biggest um, motivation is just to move and go somewhere. Um, so coming from an English speaking country in North America, the best way was to become an ESL teacher and be able to teach overseas. So I signed up for a TESO class that uh, took place for a couple of months and I learned a lot of things and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, the teachers were great. Uh, and once I was com I completed that, I had two options, whether to stay in Canada and do the ESL teach uh, teacher route. Uh, but I keep hearing how it was just not um, very easy to find a full-time position. You always start off part-time and that wasn't my goal and I wanted to travel. I didn't want to stay in Vancouver anymore. So um, I started what to look for- What was the TESOL? Was it a CERT TESOL? Because it's one of, it was the accredited one because in Canada you have to be uh, accredited. Yeah. Like, um, you, there's, like you, if I, when I wanted to teach in Canada, I had to have the CELTA. I couldn't just have, you know, any old plain piece of paper. Um, just, you know, where you get these online certificates. Uh, this one was actually in class. So uh, I spent months and hours in class where you actually do the work and you do uh, a practicum with it. Mm -hmm. So once you do the class, you pass it and you do your practicum. You can basically uh, apply for the Canadian uh, TESOL, I guess, a CESOL. Mm -hmm. And uh, and with that certification, you're able to teach uh, in Canada legally as a ESL teacher. 
I actually haven't finished that because uh, the amount of time that I was teaching wasn't enough for me to apply for CISO before I left. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did um, the school that I went to get my uh, TESOL from, uh, they actually had substitute positions. So I actually signed up for it and was able to teach several classes in, uh, I believe, a month, uh, several classes to other ESL teacher uh, students. And it was a great experience in which just kind of cement the fact that, you know, this is what I want to do. Okay. And then uh, after Canada, you were saying? Uh, so I was searching for a place where I could teach overseas. And I've been watching a lot of South Korean drama, <laughs> K-drama. And, you know, it's just that that was a really big place to go to. And I'm like, you know, let's just immerse myself into K-drama and go to South Korea and teach there. Mm -hmm. uh, but the experience was not what I expected. <laughs> Uh, it was um, what the K drama doesn't tell you is how hardworking uh, South Koreans are and how much are expected from them from their jobs. Uh, I worked as an ESL teacher, as a foreign teacher, and there are a lot of like local um, teachers there as well. And the amount of work that they put in compared to me is not the same. They definitely work their butts off. They worked so hard, um, even though I felt like I worked really, really hard too, but they worked until uh, they just burned out and a lot of them actually just quit because <laughs> mm -hmm. they worked that hard. But yeah, um, when I first went to South Korea, I went with Neil. We went there together as a couple teacher and uh, we were placed in the same uh, hagwon, which is a private um, after-school English academy uh, versus a public school. For public schools, you're not really there. You can't really go as a couple. You have to go as an individual. So because we're going together, we decided we'll take the private Hagwon route instead. Mm -hmm. And um, I think me being a female, immediately I got placed into a lot of the younger kids' classes. Mm -hmm. And previous to my previous to being in South Korea, I hadn't teach young kids before. Sure, I've done like summer camps and uh, had nieces and nephews to play with, but not actually teaching them. Um, I think it's just that because I'm female, I automatically get the younger kids. And uh, it was quite an experience and I actually really enjoyed it. I learned a lot uh, with, uh, you know, being in class more than uh, in like get going through the classes, like mm -hmm. courses. Yeah. What, what um, would you say is like the, the difference? So you, you did all that practicum uh, in mm -hmm. Canada and, um, you know, the way that they were preparing you for teaching English and then boom, you're in Korea, you're in a hogwan, you're doing, um, you know, you've got quite a workload and you're doing with younger kids. So, you know, yeah. how was that different and, you know, what did you have to do differently? With the um, school in Canada, when I was teaching adults, I was actually teaching new immigrants um, and we were just given a subject. So the entire course planning was up to us, uh, whatever, you know, I wanted to do, like uh, introducing the language, introducing grammar, doing small activities within the group. It, it was 
easily transferable from what I've learned from the TESOL course into being a substitute teacher or teaching English in Canada because they were adults. So a lot of them actually already comprehend some of the English. They weren't, I wouldn't say they were beginning beginners. They were more intermediate, definitely not uh, beyond that, but um, they understood and they were willing to learn and they were interested and they wanted to be there because they paid for it. Uh, whereas when I was in South Korea, um, a lot of the children, they don't really have a choice uh, that they had to be at the academy. And the classes, although were smaller than what you would normally see at a uh, public school, um, it is different. And because their English level is so much lower, um, I do have to adjust my teaching um, using smaller sentences, uh, easier words, or Great lots of repetition. Language. Yeah, the language was big uh, using games, uh, more suitable for younger kids versus adults. Um, definitely there wasn't a lot of um, group activities because uh, it was a lot harder to control that. And they just don't comprehend the instructions if it gets more complicated than like five words. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing that a lot of the courses that I see for new teachers for you know, teaching English, um, they are often geared with this, I feel like an imaginary class in mind of kind of adults or young adults at a pre-intermediate, intermediate level. And yet most mm -hmm. of the jobs that I've come across or you know, I see posted or how, <clears throat> that I have done is often dealing less with adults, more with younger children, more with, um, you know, very little or low level of English. But and that's outside of the, the big, you know, British Council and, you know, International House chains sort of thing. Well, not necessarily. I mean, the British Council definitely is like heavily focused on kids now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I, I think I think that is just the, I think it's the way that the market's gone, to be honest. Um, and I think that, you know, if you go back to when these uh, courses had their inception, um, you know, the CELTA and uh, the Trinity course and all the rest of it, um, they were looking at, um, you know, a kind of uh, mainly an adult market and kind of European centric. This is where all of the writers of these courses, all of the people who influence the methodologies that they teach, um, had experiences in the European market mainly, and um, and I think it's it's kind of still yeah it's still a bit focused on that, and it, I think it's, that's a really good point. Um, it's 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 kind of funny that in order to teach, in order to get a, a young learner specific certificate, you're supposed to kind of jump through the initial certificate first, and then you get like an extension. Yeah, you do the CELTA, and learners. then you do the CELTA for kids. I can't remember how. What that's right, or, or Trinity and then the Tilek. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and maybe that's, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it's backwards. Uh, I mean, for me, teaching adults was definitely the way in, and mm -hmm. um, kids was something that I kind of moved on to. I, I don't think I ever would have gone into English language teaching and gone like, yeah, let's teach some kids. You know, yeah. I don't think I, I don't think that would have been a, a, an appealing thing for me. But but now I love teaching kids, and I love teaching teens, and I love uh, teaching young learners. So for me, it was an in. Maybe uh, maybe that's the psychology of it. Maybe there's a lot of teachers who are like that. But yeah, I think I think there certainly should be an option to just begin 
day one, you know, Celta Kids Edition. Well, it wouldn't be Celta, would it be Celt YL, right? <laughs> yeah. It should be a possibility, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. It's a weird, it's a weird situation because I kind of feel like, well, there's lots of people that go into teaching kids and then go into teaching adults, and you keep. I would, I would say it can almost be easier teaching kids to begin with if you're kind of like a, an outgoing entertainer, you know, performer, you know, like even, you know, with like a drama background or something, an acting background or something like that, because energy is very important. So it, that might be an easy way for someone that's kind of, um, you know, a bit younger and I then kind of graduate into adults. But I, the idea, I did, like you, the adult route first before going to children, and I felt that really helped me with the whole structuring and kind of thinking of, uh, you know, the actual teaching aspects. That's not a very good way of putting it. But the thinking of the whole methodology behind it and then going into kids and bringing that energy in and mixing it up. But I can see both sides as you know having the positive and negatives of where you first join it. I think there is a thing that um, if you have some natural, or let's say you've built up an experience of kids mm -hmm. uh, before you come to teaching, you know, because actually my experience with kids before I came to teaching was very minimal, mm -hmm. very minimal. Whereas now, you know, I interact with kids outside of teaching as well. You know, like if I see if I see a kid, you know, in the supermarket and they kind of look at me, then I might make a face or do something, you know, <laughs> wave at them or something, right? Whereas previously I would have been like, oh, it's a kid, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> leave me alone, right? Um, but I think I feel like there's people who already were having interactions with kids or, you know, had this understanding of where kids are as well. Mm -hmm. um, that, um, yeah, if you're fresh, if you're kind of going fresh into teaching, then... Um, you, you know, you do have an ability, to, you know, you can kind of look at little Jimmy or whatever and have more of an understanding of why he's kind of, you know, pulling a face and throwing his pencil around or whatever. Uh, whereas at the beginning, I, would have, I wouldn't have had a clue about that. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, a, a big difference there in yeah. how you begin. No, for sure. I think when I first started teaching, I was very strict. I was, because I was teaching adults before, so I was, I wasn't really fun. Um, and then with I the wanted with, with, with the kids, oh, okay. <laughs> the kids, I wasn't really fun with the kids because I was, no, I would, I could chat with adults and no problem, but chatting to kids is completely different, right? Yeah. I mean, that and, was one of the things that I wanted to do, what I was hoping to, to talk about today, because mm -hmm. I was the, I was more fun, definitely more of a fun character um, mm -hmm. in the class, whereas you were more discipl dis uh, disciplinarian. So, yeah, I, I was very, I'm a strict teacher. <laughs> but then um, I actually had one of the teachers, Rami, I don't know if you remember, she was my co-teacher. Mm -hmm. She told me that the, uh, the way to help me teach younger kids was to be a bit nicer to them. She said, told me to be nicer. And I was like, oh, maybe that's the way. Like, you know, I think a lot of kids when they look to, I don't know if, I don't know if it's the same with male teachers, but for female teachers, they're kind of still looking a bit like nurturing. So if I'm like nicer to the kids, I offer them hugs because before I wouldn't let any kids touch me. I'm like, no, no hugs. Stay away from me. 
like <laughs> I'm not your friend don't come to me but um I started to kind of have to change my attitude in order for them to begin to like me more I had to make myself more likable and um I changed my kind of uh, mindset that I'm not really there to please them I'm there to do my job and they have to work hard to make me like them so and that's why I kind of went more of a strict route I'm like if you're good and you show that you're good, I'll be really nice to you. But if you're not, <laughs> I've yelled at kids before. <laughs> and, how, and how did that work out? Uh, yeah, they get scared of me. They get scared when I yell. Um, I can see it in their eyes <laughs> and their, you know, uh, but on the opposite side, I when I'm really, really nice and fun, they really enjoyed it too. So, you know, they kind of get I think maybe it's the extremes that I kind of do with them that kind of like once I'm like really angry, they can tell they kind of sit up straighter, pay a little bit more attention. And yeah, just use a bit of a psychology, I guess, with them. <laughs> but you had that really good, you had a really good, um, what do they call it, like a teacher's there or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I worked on that. <laughs> They were, they were dealing with their moms or something like that? Yeah, because um, the thing is that the way, because I'm come i Asian, so I come from like, you know, that Asian culture. I know that um, kids are required to respect their elders. So I kind of played up on that a bit. So I'm like, I am older than you. I'm your elder. So you have to listen to me. There's no other reasons. It's just because I'm older than you, you have to listen to me. And I kind of played up to that being that, you have to respect me <laughs> and that's it <laughs> and I think they kind of see me as that and also because that I'm Asian and they see me as you know like like their parents sometimes I might mm. look like their parents I, I definitely think that having um, like cultural inside information or just cultural experience just experience with a culture definitely helps you deal with that specific culture right mm -hmm. um, like uh, in my experience, dealing with Spanish kids was very different than dealing with Vietnamese kids. Um, and um, certainly it was a question of, you know, the, the more you kind of learn about the culture and the more you learn about the kind of feelings that they have, yeah, about uh, the things that are critical to them in their life and the, the feelings they have about teachers and the feelings they have about adults and all this kind of stuff and how their parents are with them as well, right? Like, um, I, I don't know much about um, Korean parents or Chinese parents, but um, Vietnamese parents, like, um, are incredibly strict with their kids. And in fact, to the point where um, often, like, corporal punishment can be involved. And um, obviously, the British Council not very keen on that. You know, they, they don't, you know, um, we don't want to encourage any corporal punishment. So um, a lot of the kind of... Uh, when we were dealing with difficult students um, and, you know, writing reports and stuff, we always had to consider that, you know, what we're doing could have very serious repercussions for these kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and we wanted to be careful about that. Uh, and in fact, we were supposed to report any, um, you know, any uh, signs of, of a child who was um, having those kind of difficulties at home. Uh, didn't see that much of it, to be honest, but... Um, it was it was definitely going on in some description or another. Uh, it's just I think whatever punishment they used didn't you know they said things like they twisted their ears and stuff. It was stuff that didn't leave marks, you know. Mm. And then in, in in Japan, you know, it was almost like um, I mean I, I didn't teach kids in Japan. I taught 
uh, university students. But uh, in Japan, I remember that um, a lot of the girls <clears throat> had welts on their ankles <clears throat> where they'd been hit with a, with like a, a some sort of a, a stick in um, in school. And uh, it kind of brings it home to you that this this idea that you know the societies that are very ordered and very polite and very respectful, mm -hmm. there's something behind that which you know sometimes isn't the most pleasant thing in the world. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Um, and it's kind of there's a there's a cost that is like the hidden cost. Everyone sees the whole front of the politeness, like you say, but then you know, the cost is all that trauma and, you know, it's, what, what do you lose from that? You lose, I, I mean, for myself, when, when seen in China and some of the students, there would be, there would be more disciplinarian teachers. Uh, and I don't mean disciplinarian like Fanny's talking about, where giving them a, a hard stare and a bit of a cold shoulder, but, you know, like, Got got the cane out uh, and more corporal yeah. that you know they're 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 worried about you know giving the wrong answer um, they're worried about you know trying something a bit different uh, and with mm. something like learning English it's hugely important that you're you feel free to kind of explore yeah. That's uh, right. the yes. language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I definitely noticed that and. Um, yeah, fear, fear of making mistakes, that was a massive thing in Japan. And obviously, if your fear of making mistakes, you know, is, is above about 10%, whatever that means, then, um, you know, you won't, you won't attempt anything new in, lang in speaking, will you? Yeah. And everything will be, you know, I mean, when you're having an oral, when you're having an oral communication with someone, an oral conversation, you can't be spending your time dissecting everything you're going to say. I think that being self-conscious to some extent is helpful for patching up different areas of your speech. But, um, you know, if you're going to try to construct the whole, uh, you know, even, you know, 10 seconds of what you're going to say ahead in advance, then it really destroys your fluency. And you really see this in Japan. You know, if you, you ask students a question and there's just this gap of silence while they, while they kind of work through it, you know, um, it's just it's just silence as well. It's not like they kind of go. Uh, they do make a bit of a noise, but yeah, it's it's just, and it's very long. And then they'll come out with like three perfectly formed sentences with vocabulary you wouldn't expect at that level, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, fluency in the real world, fluency is king. So yeah. we have to, you know, encourage trying. Yeah, yeah. definitely. You went, you began in Canada with doing the teacher training. Uh, mm -hmm. So you, you started with training as a teacher, dealing mostly with adults there, uh, new immigrants. Then from Canada, we're going to Korea, doing a hogwan, uh, teaching younger students in this you know, private training center. Uh, mm -hmm. Then what? Um, so in South Korea, just to say, uh, we taught, I taught younger kids as well up to te uh, teens, so 14-ish age as well, so it's a wide range. Um, and then from there, after about two years, we went to China to teach uh, in the public school. So now we've moved from the private academy to a public school with better hours, <laughs> uh, but way, way bigger classes. 
So from there, um, I taught two grades. I taught grade threes and grade fives. And uh, I also taught private classes after school hours, um, after school on weekdays, as well as uh, I think one on weekend. So um, with the private school classes, um, they're usually younger. I've taught one class that's uh, grade threes, and most of the other ones are about kindergarten age. So just before they enter uh, school, one or two years before they enter school. So one thing about these class sizes, so the private classes are really small. They're about maybe most six people, uh, six kids, but they're usually from three to five. Uh, so with the um, the public school, the classes are uh, class size are well over fifty kids in one class, and uh, I teach about fourteen of those a week. Seventeen, no, seventeen classes a week. So I don't know what the math is. That's a lot of kids. And how so would you never, how would you do that? Uh, with that one, definitely a lot. Uh, there's some planning. Um, so I just use the uh, public school textbook and kind of supplement what they've already learned from their English teachers uh, into my class. So, and just kind of review what they've already learned. So I'm not introducing a lot of new vocabulary. So, cause I want them to practice more oral English rather than to learn new things. So we, um, so I'll reintroduce the vocabulary that they've learned from their English teacher. We do a lot of games. Uh, we do a lot of uh, repetition. Uh, with the older grade five, we do sentences. With the younger grade threes, we do single uh, vocabulary words and picture matching. Um, and usually at the end of the class, if they've done well, I, I also reward them with either a video, a music video, or a just a cartoon video, or with the mm. older kids, uh, something just to kind of reward them uh, with the subject that's mm. related to the subject that they're doing. Well, could, could you talk a bit about the games that you do? Yeah, so the games... with the really young kids. With the really young kids. Um, so with my private, uh, uh, the young kids, um, the games that we do, uh, the introductory uh, lessons, like I teach them commands. So to stand up, line up, uh, raise their hands, sit down. So we do it as a game, uh, teacher says. So I introduce it as teacher says. So I demonstrate in front and they all do it. Uh, after a few classes of that, they remember the action and the words. I start to say, what's number one? And they'll raise their hands and they'll put, um, they'll say it. Once they say it, I reward them with a star. Mm. So they, uh, with the smaller classes, because um, there's only what, four or five of them, I can individually like draw a star on their name. So everybody has a name tag and I just kind of add up their stars so they know who kind of excels at the end. Um, kids are already competitive at that age. So, you know, the more stars they have, the happier they are. And they also kind of reinforces them to know that they've done well. It's like my way of telling them, good job. So we do the uh, the instructions at the beginning. Then we usually go from a game to a song. And with a lot of these songs, some of them already come with actions, where the ones that don't, I just kind of make them up on the spot and we mm. just do it. And they just copy me. So they look at me, they see the song, and these songs are played. Uh, I only have maybe like six, five or six songs that I play in the class. So. Again, repetition so that by the end of like a month or two or the end of the 
term, they actually know the songs already and they know their actions. So it feels like they've already learned something too. So these, like, you're talking songs like Baby Shark and that sort of thing, or? Uh, we do Baby Shark. Yeah, that's those are easy ones. I do. I'm a teapot, um, twinkle, twinkle, little star, some like nursery rhyme songs that are easy and simple for them. Okay, so you're getting them to do songs with with actions and TPR and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so um, the songs break up the actual lessons because the actual lessons is when we learn the vocabulary words. Uh, they actually, um, some of the younger classes, uh, they have a book that the parents want me to teach. So I just take the vocabulary from each book and uh, the workbook that they have. Um, we only do maybe one or two pages each class because they're just, a lot of them are tracing, coloring, uh, really easy things. And I'm like, it won't take the entire hour, hour and a half that I teach them. So that's why I add in all these songs. And I also show them the text using a PowerPoint. Whatever it's on their book is also on the monitor in front of them so they get to see and I would demonstrate how to do the activity before they do it and then I give them time to do it and I would walk around and I would see if any of them needs help then I help them otherwise I just walk around just checking on them and you know uh, with the younger kids who like praises so you always just say you're doing such a good job or uh, they really like it and they, you know you get a bit of a smile and if they if I think they're doing an excellent job I'll just randomly give out stars mm -hmm. and uh, one of the things that I surprise the younger kids at classes the kindergarten classes with is that sometimes I'll give them one star sometimes I'll give them three stars and when they suddenly just get three star they know that they've done so good that I'm so pleased with their work and they get really excited about that I was really They're surprised like, when uh, I watched some of your classes with the kindergarten because mm. I, I had an idea with kindergarten that it would be a lot more, I don't know, like uh, not as like your classes were really, because you have to use the books that the, par the parents mm -hmm. provide. That I was surprised at how heavy, you know, that they gave you books and stuff like that to, to use. Yeah. Um, I was surprised at how structured uh, it was, uh, and that you know you, would, you were doing the tracing and stuff like that. I expected more kind of just um, chaos. Just, yeah, more chaos, more games. Uh, yeah, you know, like like oh, run, run here and say this word. But you know, uh, in that in that kind of way, I didn't expect to see so many sitting down and you know connecting the, yeah. the vocabulary with the picture and all that sort of thing? I think in a normal kindergarten class where you have lots and lots of kids, that might be less, like, it would be more running around and playing a lot more games. But because I have so little students and the parents really kind of gave me a goal and I kind of, they're like my clients, so I have to kind of achieve that goal and finish that book within the three months that I have so that I do structure it very, um, it's very structured. I, maybe it's just my style. I like to know when I start, this is what we're going to do. And then the next thing, this is what we're going to do. And then we're going to do the book reading uh, and then they repeat and then we do a game and then we do a song and then we do the workbook and then we do another game, we do a song. Uh, a lot of these activities I try to, it's really quick. Uh, because kids don't really have a lot of um, good, like, 
long attention span anyways. And, um, but because of the structure, they know what to expect as well. So they are ready. Mm -hmm. did, you, did you find, um, I mean, you probably did, but did you find <laughs> the, the conflict between um, parents, what yes. the parents want their kids to learn and what the kids would like to do did you find that challenging and how did you decide, how did you balance that? Um, so yeah, definitely the parents wants the class to be more um, academic. Whereas I know that they, they're just kids. They're what, four, five, six years old. You know, you, you can't really expect them to sit there and do all that printing, but it is what the parents wanted. So I kind of uh, try to go, that's why I only do like one or two pages a day so that they do do that, but they're also going to stand up and they're also going to dance. And when they actually get off, mm. like you can tell when they get off their desk and they're able to dance, they love it. They go nuts for it. And, um, you know, as long as, you know, the parents have like, you know, that book where they can see that their parent, their kids already did something that satisfies them. Yeah. And on the other hand, you know, the kids are going to be, I want them to come to class happily not something that they dread because, oh, I'm going to just be writing and drawing or whatever sat at my desk all the time. But mm -hmm. introducing songs and games makes them more active and uh, engaging and they would want to look forward to class. Yeah. And I also work uh, with my kindergarten class, private classes, I give them the candy. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you can, but it's an interesting <laughs> one, isn't it? It's, um, it's definitely frowned upon from some quarters. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, 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 the derogatory term that's used for that is Pavlovian motivation. Yeah. Um, but, that's, they, but you can also use that with regards to things like stars as well. Mm -hmm. um, now, personally, I think Pavlovian motivation does have a place, and I think a very useful place at times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, if you're talking about four-year-olds, then are you really going to you know, only aim for you know, internal motivate. Yeah, this four-year-old's going to come to class and learn English because they <laughs> want to learn English. I mean... Don't you feel good about being about able that. to put a sentence together? What is that for you? Yeah, no. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I think there's, there's... We have it as adults as well, though. You know, like we... <laughs> Uh, it's just a little bit more subtle, you know, the whole idea of getting the degree, uh, you know, for many people, it's not the piece of paper that shows that they've got all this experience, um, that they're employable, but for them, mm. it's just kind of like, uh, oh, I've done really well. <laughs> yeah, and I think what Fanny said about the competitive nature of people, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there, is so, there are definitely some movements in sort of... Um, ELT methodology at the moment, which are um, against this kind of thing. You know, they don't, yeah. it's, you know, we don't want to, you know, have a winner and a loser or whatever. Um, but, I, you know, I know, for example, that me, me personally, I am highly motivated by competitiveness. And actually, it doesn't matter all that much if I win or lose. Obviously, I, I, if I win, then I'm a lot happier about it. But whether I win or lose doesn't affect what I do before that which is if I think it is competitive, then I want to do well, mm -hmm. right? Um, so for me, it definitely does have an, a, an, an effect. 
Um, I mean, when, even when I was doing my Trinity diploma, right, um, I, uh, I had a, a roommate in Barcelona uh, who was a girl on the course, and we got on pretty well. Um, but we were both like on the cusp of getting a distinction for a, like a, a, a lesson practice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, that really pushed me and it pushed her as well. You know, I could <laughs> see that she was going for it as well. And to be, on reflection, to be honest, she was better, but it pushed us both. <laughs> uh, and we, you know, we both, we both got there. Uh, and I think we only got there because of that competitiveness. Um, and so I think that, you know, for me, competitiveness has a, a role to play. And yeah, okay, sometimes it's okay. You have the activities where everybody wins or you're not, it's not about winning or losing or whatever. But, you know, I think there's a definite place for activity, for things where people do win or lose, for the star chart, for the rewards, for the, you know, let's give XYZ a clap because they've really done it, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I do want to mention that um, with the stars that I give the kids, I always make it even. They don't know it, but I do. I already count them so that there are no outstanding winners. Or if this person won this week, I'll make sure the other person wins the next week. Mm-hmm. So that's something subtle that I do. Yeah, I completely like, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a game. It's, I guess, in a way that to kind of promote fairness and the fact that I actually did this once without realizing that I should make it fair between all the kids and the kids actually get upset and there was a child that actually cried and from then on I'm like you know what I need to make sure that these Mm. kids at least they win at least once every like like they take Mm. turn winning they don't know that I do it but you know it feels good for them to like yeah I won this week and then like they do come back trying harder and I do notice that. And um, when I say I give rewards, everybody actually gets a reward at the end. But the person that had the most stars probably get an extra reward. Mm-hmm. So they're not left empty-handed because they're kids. Um, they they will get they will cry. They will get upset if they didn't get anything out of it. And that's kind of the balance with um, with the young kids is that they're they really they try hard, but sometimes they don't always win, and they don't know that yet. And I don't know if it's a lesson that I want to teach them. Well, not, <laughs> yes. four, not four or five. Yeah. Now, right? I mean, yeah. No, I'm like, not. oh, there's winners and losers. Like, I actually, because that girl that cried, her dad actually tried to tell her that, you know, there are winners and then you don't always win every time. And I just like, I felt really bad. Uh, that's one of the things, like, um, in China, uh, most of the parents and teachers assume that I can't understand Chinese, but I secretly can. <laughs> So I can hear a lot of the things that they tell me. And it's actually great with the younger kids so that I can tell when, you know, they know the answer or they don't know the answer or they're talking about something that they don't think I can understand. And But sometimes I kind of let it slip a bit that um, that I heard them. They're saying apple or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is an apple. And they're like, how does she know? <laughs> I'm like, and then I would just answer, oh, because I'm a teacher. I know everything. <laughs> yeah, with how the kids, that, I'm um, a bit more fun. <laughs> how does that help you? Uh, I mean, in in Korea, you didn't really know the language, um, but in China, you did. So, did you notice any difference? Does it does it you know different style of teaching? How does it help? Does it not help? Does it hinder? Um, I do find if you know the language, it does help. Um, 
it helps in that I understand what they're having trouble with. And if a certain, a certain, I don't know, vocabulary or grammar that need more explaining that they don't really understand, you can, you can see the confusion in their eye, like in their faces sometimes, but sometimes they talk to their classmates more about it. They're like, I don't really get it or whatever. And then I can hear that and I can, you know, take more time to explain this one aspect to them more. So I find that's helpful that I know what they're struggling with and I can work on that more versus like just kind of glazing through, like going through my lesson plan without stopping to see, to check. Mm -hmm. But that, that's, sometimes that's when, funny mm -hmm. because it's only if it's secret. Like if I found if someone know, is, knows English, but they wouldn't speak up and ask you and say, oh, can you explain that a bit more? But because they don't know that you know Chinese, they ask mm -hmm. their friend, you overhear it, and then mm -hmm. unprompted, you can elaborate a yeah. little bit more. So it's kind of, you kind of got like a it's not always It's not always secret. Yeah, it's not always secret. They sometimes say it out loud. Oh. <laughs> they still like ask me the question in Chinese out oh. loud. And well, I, even even though I deny saying that I know what they're saying. <laughs> but yeah, they still ask it out loud sometimes because, you know, they assume I can't understand. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think it's helpful for me as a teacher to know what area needs more explaining or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it's, it's, it's definitely a hot potato, but um, I'm, um, I mean, to be honest, I, I like to stay closer to the fence on a lot of things. I don't want to go too extreme either way, but on learning, on, on using L1 in the classroom, uh, I'm probably more towards the uh, it's good uh, when you know how to use it than than a lot of uh, teachers. Um, and whether that's just your comprehension of understanding what they're saying and, uh, you know, they say, you know, how do I say in English, right? And you mm -hmm. can actually understand that. Uh, but also, mm, I even think Occasionally, it can be useful to for the teacher to fire something back as well, you know? I mean, you have a lesson plan, you have a main lesson aim, and maybe someone asks a question, and, you know, what... The, yeah, okay, one of the one of the options you have as a, as a teacher when you don't want to get derailed is to say, oh, you know, don't worry about that. Well, we're doing something else now, or this is more important, or you don't need to do that right now. But if you know the language, you can just fire it back. You know, they say, oh, what's, you know, uh, what's, what's this mean, teacher? And you're like, oh, I've only got 10 minutes and I've got 12 minutes of material left. And this kid in the corner is asking me a question. And you can just say, oh, that's rebobinar, you know, <laughs> boom, and then move on. And that, honestly, I think that's a better answer than saying we haven't got time for that or that's not important for you right now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I do, th I, I do think having the L1 of your students is an advantage. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's great for management. I think a, a lot of a lot of what we're doing is coming down to management uh, and balance of so many different things. Uh, you know, with this whole expectation with the parents, with the book, but also trying to balance making the kids, you know, having the kids learn but have fun, and you know, yeah. trying to balance yeah. your time as well because you only have a certain amount of time and you want to use that effectively. Uh, that's a major component of teaching. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're coming towards the end. And mm -hmm. the one last question that I wanted to drop uh, on Fanny was basically, mm 
um, as a as a experienced teacher now, what would you say was one of the most important steps uh, for you to becoming the teacher you are today? Just whatever comes to mind. I think being dropped in with no preparation is probably one of the biggest lesson and uh, biggest experience that I've got. Um, yeah, you go in and say, here's a book, go teach. You have 20 <laughs> minutes. I'm like, what? Is there like, you don't even have time to write down a lesson plan. And I like to prep everything before I go in. So yeah, thinking on your feet is a major, major lesson. And you just kind of have to, you know, do something. Uh, actually, that relates to what I do today as well. I often get like commands like, oh, we're going to do a live stream in like 10 minutes. You're going to have to talk about this. And there's no script. So I'm just going to say whatever comes to my mind. But yeah, um, that's probably the biggest lesson in life even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's, a very, that's an interesting one. I think definitely it's something that couldn't go horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I had some very negative, because I had some similar experiences to that, uh, and I had some very negative experiences. Uh, we talked about this previously, that um, I'd actually been massively taught, uh, put off teaching kids because mm -hmm. I, I went into a situation not prepared by an institution that didn't prepare me properly uh, with children, and it was really, you know, it was a massive stress, you know, and it was like I was yeah. prepared to give up that job. I basically said to them, I'm not going to do that again. And if they come back and say, well, you have to, then I was I was prepared to just go, well, no, I'm not, um, because <laughs> I was so kind of by it, right? Um, but, you know, alternatively, uh, another, the other side of it is we do have to take risks as teachers, right? So if you have that experience and it works out, then it's like, wow, you know, then it's, it, that's, that's, a, that's a great experience to have because then you've got that confidence that, you know, I can go into these unknowns and I can, I can, I can give it a shot. It. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like uh, any aspect of your life. If, if it's something that you kind of um, aren't confident in or weak and if you kind of, you know, uh, focus on that for a bit, you know, if you have something that you're really comfortable with to go outside of that comfort zone, every now and again and kind of push your boundaries and see how well you do. Um, because, you know, maybe the very first year, uh, if you were dropped in it, Fanny, um, <laughs> you would have sunk. But with that experience, yeah. you know, the second year it, it, wor it worked out for you. And, you know, just, you know, try it every now and again, you know, the, mm -hmm. that yearly taste test. Oh, did I, do I like olives this year? No, I'll try them again. <laughs> Have now. I done it's it yet? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, we'll awesome. we'll wrap it up here uh, yep. because um, we're well, limited on time. Um, mm. But yeah. one more like plug, Rich. <clears throat> um, yeah, well, I think it, first of all, I think it'd be be great to have Fanny on again sometime, yep. and hopefully that will happen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, busy people, difficult, mm -hmm. isn't it? <laughs> uh, for so you, you busy the popular people, ones, right? I've got loads of time. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, of course, uh, YouTube.com is Professor Rich. Totally useless for teachers, other than you'll just see me do some random nonsense. But if you happen to be a student watching this thing, and who knows, we have no idea what the audience for this might be. Could be students, could be 
random admirers. Um, you know, brilliant. Uh, please like and like, share, subscribe, ELT under the covers, and uh, it's been fun. Over to you guys. Thank you. Um, so, Team Teacher, uh, multiple channels. We've got Team Teacher China, Team Teacher Baby, Team Teacher English, Teacher China. Lots of information about China, but also our teaching uh, videos. And Team Teacher Baby uh, is uh, about parenting and teaching with parenting. And Team Teacher English is basically for younger kids, independent lessons for them to do, or that teachers can assign as homework. Um, just search for them all together as one word on YouTube. You'll find them and you'll find the same on social media accounts. And we also have our website, Team Teacher China. Dot com where you've got lots of free materials to download and use. Um, but it's Fanny's interview, so I'm going to let her give the last words and give the plugs for us to subscribe to our ELT, English Language Under the Covers channel. Fanny, go ahead. All right, so if you want in-depth interviews <laughs> or just, uh, just to see these two lovely faces all the time, definitely check out ELT Under the Covers. Uh, subscribe, share, follow everything. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming. See you later, guys.